You Can Mentor is a podcast about the power of building relationships with kids from hard places in the name of Jesus. Every episode will help you overcome common mentoring obstacles and give you the confidence you need to invest in the lives of others. You Can Mentor. Today's episode is an interview with Satcher Dawson, the executive director of Hope Farm in the Dallas-Fort Worth area, and he unpacks a vision for discipline in the mentor relationship. We hope today's episode gives you or your organization value, and if it does, we'd love to hear about it. Leave a review, rate the podcast, share this episode with someone you think would benefit from the content. Thanks for listening. Welcome back to the You Can Mentor podcast. My name is Stephen, and I'm here with a very special guest, Mr. Mr. Satcher Dawson. He is the executive director of Hope Farm. Hope Farm is a leadership program in Fort Worth that guides at-risk boys to become Christ-centered men of integrity. Mr. Satcher, how are you doing this morning? I'm wonderful, Steve, and thanks for asking. How are you? Hey, I'm so good. Got my coffee in front of me, and I, I'm just excited for this interview. I, I met you last week. We came to y'all's program, got to check out all, all of your facilities and meet some of your staff, and I am excited for today's episode. I feel like you're the guy to talk to, so thank you for making time for this. You're welcome, and I, and I look forward to it as well. Yeah, well, uh, today's episode is going to be all about discipline. What are the rhythms of discipline that boys need most? And I, I feel like mentoring programs are designed in a way to give kids a framework for what discipline looks like and, and, and kind of have to say the hard thing, but then also give, give them a framework for their adult life to walk in. And so I, I'm, I'm excited to learn from you today, but Real quick, could you just explain Hope Farm to our listeners so they could understand where you're coming from? Yeah, sure. Absolutely. As you stated before, Hope Farm is a leadership development after school program for fatherless boys. And, uh, and our goal is to turn our young men into Christ-centered leaders. And the way we do that, we do it via a, a four-pronged approach, what we call the, the read, feed, parent, and empower approach. And so... Childhood literacy is a big part of what we do, understanding that, you know, in order to be able to function in life, you know, reading and literacy is is key. I mean, that's fundamental. So we focus on that very much. And then in order for our boys to get maximum production, you know, they have to have nutritious meal and be properly hydrated. So feeding is a, a big part of, of that as well. And we make sure that none of our boys go home hungry each afternoon. And then the parent piece of it, you know, a vital part of, of discipline and education is parent engagement. And so when our boys sign up in our program, they don't just sign up. The parents have to sign up as well. And that's called the Mom's Resource Program. And so initially they go through a four-week orientation process called Parent University. And it's really broken down into four parts uh, so that we really truly get a chance to understand and engage with the moms. We kind of lay out what their uh, whole farm expectations are, what our expectations are for the moms. We, you know, give them some parenting tips. Uh, we figure out kind of what they need and so that we're able to stand into in the gap for them as well. 
because discipline and education is holistic. It's a family event. And so, and that's what has enabled the boys to stay in our program as long as they have, because the message don't get lost when it gets at home, the parents carried out as well. And then we talk, <clears throat> when we talk about empowerment, we want to make sure that when the men leave our program, that they're empowered with the tools to make sure they're successful and have a chance in the world. And so, and really, you know, that's what Hope Farm is all about in a nutshell. We bring boys in. Our sweet spot from an intake standpoint is, is generally kindergarten through third. We will take older boys on a case-by-case basis, but we would rather bring them in younger. It's so much easier to prepare a young man than to repair. So, um, <clears throat> but, we con- but we continue to keep them all the way through high school and on into college. Many times during the summer, you'll see a lot of our college students come back and working on the yards and the gym, you know, just coming to to give back and help mentor some of the young men as well. So it's a great program. Very proud of our staff. We have an outstanding staff, a tremendous staff that generally wears two to three hats in order to get it done. We have three campuses now. We have two in the Fort Worth area and one in the Dallas area. And so there's a lot of continuity between all three campuses. So it takes a lot of work and a lot of coordination in order to make that happen. I love it. And I, I loved walking into y'all's lobby and seeing pictures of the boys who've graduated from your program and just seeing seeing the life change just in, in those pictures of knowing these guys have been prepared for the journey into manhood. And, and so love what you guys are doing. And I think y'all's approach has influenced a lot of the programs that we run here in Dallas. So thank you for, for what you guys are doing, paving the way for other orcs. You, you had mentioned that discipline is, is, is a holistic approach, like that it includes the family, it includes every aspect of a child's life. And so maybe we'll just jump in there and ask you to kind of break down your definition of discipline and, and how that plays out day to day at Hope Farm. Okay. Yeah. Well, thank you, Stephen. Yeah. So, you know, discipline for Hope Farm means that, you know, a boys are mindful and respectful and they do it, you know, w- with a with a loving posture, you know, not just do it, but do it lovingly. As I stated before, our goal is to transform the young men from the inside out. So every day, you know, we have Bible study. And so they are introduced to the word each and every day. And so, you know, we talk about Christ, you know, discipline is all about being Christ-like. How would Christ act in that situation? And also not only here at Hope Farm, but we have a communication line set up that we want that discipline to carry over at home and at school. And so discipline for us means that being in control of yourself at all time and being respectful and being Christ-like. That's really good. Being being in control of yourself. And I'm sure that's probably something that's not uh, consistent for kids to feel like that's an expectation, like that I would control myself. And so, I mean, how, how do you guys create an environment where kids learn to, to do that? Yeah. Yeah. And that's a very good question, Stephen. So what we, we display, we want our boys to display the 16 social skills at all time. And so we will, and we'll be happy to share, you know, that with you after the show, if you like, you know, it's, it's, it's being respectful, you know, it's when I tell you to do something, listen closely, right? Get the instructions and then uh, respond and then come back to me. You know, 
the staple of the Hope Farm Boy is that when you first meet someone, you give you look them straight in the eyes, you give them a firm handshake, and in the right tone of voice, you introduce them to yourself, give them your name, and then you ask them, how can I help you? Or pleased to meet you, sir, or pleased to meet you, ma'am. Everything is always no ma'am, no sir. And, you know, and it's it's always in a pleasing and appropriate voice. Yeah. Well, and I wonder how much that you you mentioned K through three is kind of your your main sticking point. You said you you would rather prepare a kid for his future than repair a kid for his future. I, I think that's probably the clearest, most simple way to say it. But do you have older kids that join your program and that discipline strategy becomes a lot more difficult, I'd imagine? It does. We do have older boys to join our program. And it's on a case-by-case basis. And so now we've even instituted to the point where, you know, we want them to even tell us or write in a quick paper on why you want to join Hope Farm and what you uh, intend to get out of the program. You know, because now they have to have some skin in the game because we know the older the boys are, the harder the habits to break are. And so also, secondly, we have intentionally went out and hired people that are geared toward middle school, high school boys so that, you know, they get a chance to go to the schools, maybe have lunch with them, uh, have coffee with them in, in the afternoon. So, and secondly, now we're in the process of building out a vocational center so that, you know, now, even if a young man come in at an older age, we have something that we can in- introduce them to that can be life changing for them because, if they can come in and learn a trade and get certified by the time they graduate from high school, we made a, tra- diff- <clears throat> a tremendous difference in that young man's life and, and, and perhaps changed the trajectory of his career as well. Yeah. Yeah. That's really good. And I, I feel like for us, as far as our organization, we're, we're mostly saying, Hey, we want to serve you. Will you please join our program? And you're kind of saying like, Hey, what, what do you want to receive from our program? Tell us why you think you would be good, a good fit. And I think that that's a, that's a subtle change, but I think in a way it promotes that responsibility. It promotes that discipline of like, Hey, this, this program isn't for everybody. Yes, that's correct. And, and the main thing is, is that we want, they're old enough that we can get buy-in from them. You know, we don't have to get buy-in from their parents. When they are coming in at this age, we want buy-in from you. And so whenever things get tough, we can always revert back to what, this is what you told us you want. You know, this is what you want to get out of the program. And so our goal is to help you reach your goal. So that has been, you know, helpful from time to time whenever we have to revert back. So for for the younger kids, there are probably some established goals, which you, you kind of said the 16 social skills, which, yeah, I'd love for you to share um, those with us either now or later, but, but for the, the older kids, you're allowing them to establish a game plan or a goal for them being a part of your program. And if there's alignment, you're like, yes, come on, we're going to make that happen. Um, but are those 16 social skills, something you focus on the older kids as well? We do. Hopefully by the time they become older, if they started out in our program as a youngster, well, by the time they get middle school, high school, we hope they have mastered those by, by that time. If not, then we have to work on the older kids and, and, and kind of work backwards in order to get some of those skills 
with them. You know, our, our program now, we try to break it up into three parts, Stephen. As I said, kindergarten through fifth is really our elementary kids. And so, you know, the focus there is childhood literacy, discipline, and laying the whole farm foundation. And then when they get to middle school from sixth through eighth grade, we try to hone in on developing their leadership core development skills, such as public speaking, you know, how to write, uh, critical thinking, even we'll even get to financial literacy at, at some point. And then the, and those are the critical times when we try to figure out if they're on a collegiate path or are they on a vocational path? Because we know not all young men want to go to college or are going to go to college, right? But we need a viable option for those who don't. And so in the summer of the eighth grade, we generally have them to go and get career assessment tested. And that kind of gives us an idea kind of what their focal point is, you know, what they're geared toward. And and then we, as they get into the high school or ninth through 12th grade, then we try to build a, a internship around them based on what they like and what their skill set is. And hopefully we have, you know, some members in our donor base, some friends or relatives that can kind of give them some hands-on intern skill, you know, prior to entering the workforce. And then, and even if they go to college, right, if they learn a skill, you can use that skill, you know, to perhaps help put you through college. And then once you get into a company, a lot of times, you know, a company will invest in you, you know, to get higher education or, you know, or, or get a degree if, if that's the way you want to pursue it. So there's, there's so many opportunities now and, and we have to look at it holistically, you know, yeah, they're in the kindergarten now, but before you know it, they're going to be in high school and, and how do we lay those tracks along the way to ensure that they're on a good path? Yeah, that's really good. And I, I mean, I don't usually think about this very much. I have a six-month-old at home, so that, that tells you <laughs> a little bit about me when it comes to being a parent. I don't have much experience, but kind of what you're saying is that with the younger kids, obedience is key, listening is key, teaching them the skills they need to understand what you're asking of them. And then as they get older, you move more into the leadership of speaking, of, of not just obeying, but, but speaking and being clear themselves. And then Correct. as they develop more, then it's what skills do I need to interact with other people, with my boss, with people below me, and what skills do I need to excel? And I think that that simplicity is really helpful for me. So may, maybe a, a program that's looking for, okay, how do we create discipline? Okay, we got to teach these kids how to listen. We got right. to help them obey. And, and even just the thought that came into my mind was that obedience can never happen without leadership. You, you can't obey unless you're being told to do something. And, and, and maybe a, a form of challenge for people who are facing obedience issues is how are you providing leadership? And so I, I think our, our podcast is about mentor relationships, but where our programs have after school programs and staff that are investing in our kids. And so I wonder if you could kind of frame this back into a mentor relationship. What should a mentor be focusing on if he's mentoring a kid in that K through fifth grade kind of kind of environment? What, what are his keys that he needs to be thinking about when it comes to developing discipline in the life of the kid he's mentoring? Yeah. So 
the word mentorship in, in a nutshell, Stephen, is relationship, right? So, you know, the first thing a mentor has to do is develop a relationship with that with that kid. And and then by developing that relationship, he'll gain respect and 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 trust. And so once he gained the respect and the trust, it's so much easier to lead the young man. And so and the best way for them to lead is to be a good model themselves. And so our whole goal at Hope Farm is that our uh, we have mentors for our younger kids, then our younger kids grow up to be older kids and they become mentors for the younger kids, right? So you have disciples creating disciples from that standpoint. And and if we get it right, then, then we know that's what's happening in, in our program. But mentorship, you cannot have mentorship without relationship. Absolutely. Yeah. And so let's, let's say I've built relationship with my kid and I'll, I'll make this really real. In our in our program, a few days ago, a, one of our kids was upset with someone they've built relationship with and cursed at an adult. And the adult was in this place of like, how do I respond in this situation with a room full of people? Uh, how would you recommend that mentor respond in that situation? Which obviously... I mean, I I don't know if that happens in your program. That happens in our program every once in a while. And and some of that may be a a failure in leadership on our end. Um, But yeah, how how would you encourage a mentor to respond? Yeah, no. And and I think that has happened, you know, once or twice, almost at every organization. And and the way you have to respond, it has to be immediate. But what we do is we we would recommend that mentor to take himself out of that public view at that particular time and, and, and pull the young man aside and, and help instruct at that particular time. It has to be immediate. And then what we try to figure out is what caused that, right? Were you angry? Okay. What, what caused that anger? Right. And how do we deal with that anger going forward? And, and then you, you, you always, you have an opportunity to incorporate Christ into the conversation, right? And you're saying, you know, how would Christ would want you to act in that situation? And then once we get that young man straightened out, and then the next move for him would be to come back in that setting and apologize and move forward. And we call that a redirect, right? And so after we redirect him, then the next step in that is to apologize for what he did maybe a, a quick reasoning why he did it and what am I going to do going forward to avoid it? And did you say that that redirect apology happens in the room where it happened or separately just with the mentor? No, he, you know, first of all, when it first happened, the mentor may take them out of the, the public setting and behind closed door and, and kind of help him understand what he did and get him calmed down and redirected. And then once he gets redirected, now he needs to come back and apologize to the person that he just said, you know, profane language to, or, or, or disrespected in, in whatever manner. And then, then he needs to make it right with that person. If the opportunity presents itself. Right. And then, yeah. 
and in, in front of everyone, he needs to tell them what he did, why he did it, and you know how can uh, what I will do in the future to prevent that. Yeah, that's really powerful, and I think for the most part, our program has that situation happening in isolation. It's not something that you're held to account within a community of saying, hey, this is why I did this, and this is what I'm going to do to change and make it right. That apology is usually happening outside the room. But I, I, I'm intrigued by by the the fact that in that moment, it may be best for the child to own it in front of others and and learn from that learn from that experience. And so, I, I mean, I, I love that immediate, you said immediate. And yeah. so maybe you can share, I don't know, just why that's important because sometimes I feel like we just put it off and, and well, if it happened this once, I'll just let it go, but then I'll address it next time it happens. I feel like that yeah. happens all the time. Yeah. It needs to be immediate, Stephen, because the young man needs to know, understand what they did at that particular time why it's fresh on their mind and, and how it happened in the moment. And also, you know, it, it doesn't give them a chance to manufacture excuses and, and, and responses. You know, everything is right there cognitively, right? It's fresh. This is why it happened. This is, and, and so when you know when it's, it's, it's reactionary, we can correct it, right? If, if, you know, 24 hours later or a couple of days later, I may or may not remember what I did, what I said, or why I did it, right? And and even if I did, I've had a chance to concoct my story and make it more favorable from that standpoint. Ooh. And that's, adults do that too. Like, that's not just kids. <laughs> well, you know, kids learn from adults, right? <laughs> uh, pretty much 98% of what they get is learned. It's it's a it's learned behavior. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So maybe you could go into some more detail. What what keeps us? What keeps mentors from disciplining their mentee? Are there any any specific things that that come to mind? Yeah. So you know, a lot of the mentors have are reluctant to discipline their mentee, mainly because one thing they want to be liked, right? And so. Sometimes when you have to confront your mentee, you know, you get the feeling that now, oh, I don't, I don't made a mad. They're not going to like me now. You know, it's, things are not going to be favorable. And then, and 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 another instance is that uh, a lot of mentors they may not know how to handle it. You know, that that could be their first opportunity to 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 mentor someone, and they they may not have you know the skill or the confidence to do it. So a lot of times, you know, within our group. You know, they will spend 60 to 90 days with a program director, you know, learning what to do and watching them in action before they would ever get the chance to really be able to fully have a group pretty much to themselves. And so going through that process, you know, most of the program director, assistant program director have seen it all. They've seen the good, the bad, the ugly, and the upside down. And so then they try to walk through a lot of that in the in the training process when when someone new comes aboard we use a lot we utilize a lot of interns as well and i guarantee you you come to our campus after training it'll be very difficult to tell our interns from our regular employees because we spend the time with here's what you need to do make sure when they do something wrong if you don't feel comfortable 
correct them. Make sure you get it to a programmer director, someone who can make the decision so that they can correct them immediately in front of you so you know how to do it the next time. And so to answer your question, I think a lot of the uh, mentors will refrain from disciplining the mentee. Uh, one could be lack of confidence. Two could be lack of training. Uh, and third could be, I just want to be liked. Yeah. But we but we teach them, you know, it's more important to teach them the right behavior than, than to be right all the time. You know, when my dad was disciplining me, I didn't like him all the time. But, you know, as I got as I became an adult, I understood why he did all of those things. Right. And I'm a better man for it today. And so and that's what the mentor has to keep in mind as well. It's not whether how well you're like is you've got to carve a life for this young man right now. And so not doing that would be doing him more of a disservice than than a service. Yeah. I think something that you guys have done a really great job in is creating a standard for what discipline is. Yeah. yeah. And and even just what you were saying of like modeling what you're wanting your staff or your mentors to do within those situations and not just expecting them to do it without seeing it first. And I think a, an issue we run into a lot is we have people who are our mentors from every single different background. We got boomers that are mentoring and they grew up like with switches and like if you did something bad, you were going to feel it somewhere on your body and they're, they're mentoring and now they're, they're probably not hitting their kids or, or doing anything like that nowadays. But, but their perspective of discipline is completely different from a millennial who's approaching a kid and maybe, maybe wants that desire to feel liked, to feel appreciated more so than, than the older mentor who's like, I want you to be disciplined. And so right. I, I wonder if you would say just that, that having that standard of discipline is the game changer so everybody knows what you're looking for. Yeah, you're absolutely right, and Stephen, and it gives us an opportunity to talk about, you know, we've introduced what we call TBRI, and it's called Trust Brain Intervention Relationship, or Relationship Intervention, I mean, TBRI, Trust Brain uh, Relationship Intervention. And so it's more now, you know, of a cognitive response, and each one of our, our members now are going through that training to make sure that they know how to properly respond and how to properly redirect. And it builds that confidence for that mentor to be able to correct them, you know, and in, in immediately and, and appropriately. And so you're right. We can't discipline the way uh, maybe our future generations discipline corporately, right? <laughs> so, you know, the, 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 the trust brain uh, relationship intervention is more of a cognitive discipline than what the old traditional way is, and uh, and and it's it's on our campus. We think it's been been very effective, and we try to teach it to the parents as well, so that you know we're all on the same wavelength. We're all talking the same language, and so that the boys don't have a different pattern at Hope Farm than they have at home, and even some most of the schools are using it as well. So that. What you just said right there, I think, is probably the biggest challenge is if there's a difference in your organization, in your mentor relationship, in your school and in your home, 
this kid's going to have a lot of challenges understanding what's expected of him in every environment. And so I, I, yeah, I don't have an answer. I don't know how to coordinate that. And I think there's a fear, Mr. Satcher, just on how, on how to establish a model for discipline and to ask parents to, to do the same. Do you find any, any kind of friction there when you're saying, hey, this is what happens in our program and we want it to happen in the home? We, we don't have a lot of, of the friction, right, as opposed to, you know, how do I do this? I'm not equipped to do this, right? And, and that's why Parent University has been such a game changer for us because now that gives us the opportunity to introduce the same uh, language and the same standards and the same discipline measure that we're using with their boys so that when, when, it, when it occurs at home, you know, they can implement the same way. This doesn't happen overnight. It takes some time to, to develop it. So, you know, we, we're, we're in the process of trying to get all the moms certified as well in order to do this so that now once they're certified, they can be held accountable, right, for, wow. for, for, this, for this discipline. And we certainly do it for our staff. So every time that there is a um, teacher's work day and the kids are not in, we pretty much have training all day that day. And we're implementing standards and we're implementing, you know, excellence in our program. And, and, and the only way we're going to be able to do that is to be able to do it as a group, as a whole, and everyone is on the same page, and to do it day in and day out. The beauty of our program is this, is the consistency. Every day our boys come in, we're hitting them with, you know, the Bible. We're hitting them with reading literacy. We're hitting them with the 16 social skills, right? We're loving on them every day. We're having a family-style meal and sitting down at the table and teaching them table etiquette and tell them that we love them every day. And so it's a standard, you know, I mean, and we're trying to perfect that standard. We know perfection may not occur, but if we, if we strive for it, we may get very close to it. Wow. So if you're a mentoring leader, what Mr. Satcher just said was that if, if you got a day off for the kids, you need to pull your staff together and do a training on discipline to make sure that your strategy is being implemented across the board and it's consistent within every classroom, within every relationship. And I think, I think that's a good challenge for, for mentoring leaders to hear. It's let's not take this day off. Let's get, take this day to move the ball forward and, and take an advance in, in the, the way we're serving our kids. Now, maybe you can take a day off. I mean, when Thanksgiving comes or, or whatever, but, but really, how can, how can we implement things and, and be consistent? And another thing I heard, heard just from what you said is that you want to challenge us on our, our perspective of the parents. And do we actually believe that the parents don't want to be the best parent? That, they, that you think that if you offered training for parents that they wouldn't take you up on it or desire it? And... Uh, like the trust-based inter- relationship intervention, that I think that's Dr. Karen Purvis. Um, You're, yeah, her program. absolutely right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. What would it look like mentoring leaders for your moms to walk through that? I, I mean, I think that's a that's a good challenge to consider. Not just your staff, not just your mentors, but your moms. I love that. An- another question I have, I mean, it just revolves around the do's and don'ts. 
of, of discipline? Is, is there anything that you would say, don't do this when it, when it comes to discipline? Are there any red flags that you're like, hey, that, that doesn't work, that's not effective? Yeah, of course. So again, you know, the, the physical portion of it doesn't work anymore. The yelling, you know, doesn't work. You know, the screaming doesn't, doesn't work for, for, for the young men. You know, you, you cannot lose your composure when, when mentoring uh, young men at this, this day and age because it can take you a year or years to build a relationship and trust with a child, and you can lose it in one afternoon. So it's so important that you understand the do's and the don'ts within the program. And so, you know, the, 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 the yelling, the screaming, you know, the corporate punishment, a lot of those things, you know, we've moved past those. And, and sometimes with kids, you, you have to kill them with kindness. A lot of the kids that we deal with and a lot of the kids in the environment that they come out of, you know, they don't hear I love you a lot. You know, they don't get a big hug and an embrace and say, I'm proud of you. A lot of these kids, they're just looking for someone to be able to look up to. And so, you know, those are the do's that you want to do. You, when they do something well, you know, you want to congratulate them and reward them and recognize them immediately as well. Um, it, it, it's, it's highly, um, you just have to do it immediately from, from that perspective because these kids are smart and they're always watching. If you only correct me when I'm doing something bad and you never tell me when I do something good, you know, that's going to be a problem. And here's the one thing you have to understand. And I, and I keep going back to relationship, right? Because authority without relationship equals confrontation. So you can't discipline a kid that you don't have a relationship with without a confrontation. And so I, the, the biggest do I can think of is build a relationship. Hmm. That's really good. I, I feel like the, honestly, the easiest place to build relationship is in those moments. And I think in a, in a way it's easy as an adult to see those moments as this kid doesn't want relationship with me. He's not obeying me. And so he's rejecting me. And if, if we can engage and love in those moments, it, it just seems that those are the defining moments of the relationship, that it's, it is the bid for relationship. It's the way a kid communicates his needs possibly is, is by disobeying is by walking away is by lashing out. And if we're able to, to love in those moments and redirect and care for them unconditionally, I, I think that, that that does establish the relationship even more. Yeah, you, you're absolutely right, Stephen. And again, you know, the, 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 the trust-based relationship intervention teaches you that, you know, a lot of these young men come from a lot of different traumas, you know, even in, at a younger age, and, and it sticks with them for, for a while. So understanding those traumas and, and, and how they will respond and, and what ways they will respond will also teach you how to love them well, even in, in, in those moments of what we may call outbursts, right? And so we have to understand those traumas. And, and once we do identify them, 
then we got to learn how to um, love them well in those situations as well. I, something that I think is frustrating and it's, well, and, and maybe it's just this, this part of relationship with God. It's like, you have to be sensing what the Holy Spirit's doing in the moment. You have to be aware of, of the kid that you're serving. And so something you talked about was like, it, not every time is your response the same, like for, for a kid who's lashing out and has curse words for one kid, it may be one response for another kid. It may be a completely different response. And I think that that lack of clarity is frustrating because it's like, well, why can't I just respond the same way that if this happens, that means I do this. And really that model prevents us from seeing the person, seeing the needs behind the deeds and there's really is a responsibility on a mentor to sense what the Holy Spirit is doing and how we should respond and what could benefit the child. I don't know if you have any um, stories or advice on on sensing that in those moments what to do or if it's just really it, it depends on the relationship. But I, I wonder if you could share a story that you've seen. Yeah. So, Stephen, I mean, the story that I can relay almost everyone that's in our program has a story as a on our staff pretty much on why they're at Hope Farm. Many of them could be many other places. And as you know in ministry and we all know in ministry, it it's not the most lucrative place to work, you know, from a financial standpoint. Um but it is very lucrative from a soul searching standpoint. And so and everyone has a story. You know, even myself when I when I look back over it, I, I was early retired and, and I came out to talk to Gary about, oh, hey, I'm retired. I got some time on my hand. I'm, I'm just, you have a project that you need some help on for a month or so. I, I had no intention of, you know, of being the executive director at that particular time. But I, I just remember when Gary was saying, looked me straight in the eyes and said, he says, Thatcher, sometimes, man, you don't have a choice. It's not your decision, right? He, he says, because, when God calls you to do something, you know, it's going to be totally out of the blue. And and you may not be, you know, ready for it at that particular time in your mind. But, you know, when he calls you to do something, you know, he's already got the ball in, in play and, and setting things up for it to happen in, in that manner. And so you just have to be cognizant to the call and answer it when it comes. And so, yeah, they're going to – there are moments when – the Lord just speak to you and say, this is what this child needs. You know, we, we've had a young man in our program and, and the school says, you know, he can't be in person anymore because, he, you know, he's just a risk for everyone. So if he's going to do it, he needs to be virtual. Now, his, his mom works every day. There's no way she could stay home with him and work with him. And so... In, the, in, in, in just that spur of the moment, you know, the Lord just says, you know what, Hope Farm, you know, we, we built this program for a reason. And, and the reason is to stand in the gap for these young boys and the, these troubled young boys that are struggling at the partic that particular time. And just at that time, one of the staff members walked into my office and said, you know, 
I, I want to do something more. I just want to have a stronger walk with one of the young men in my in the life. And and just at that time, he became the daily mentor for that particular young man while his mom is working. And he does the virtual work with him. He prays with him, walk with him during the day. And so, you know, that was a godsend at that particular time. Because if, Jamal, <clears throat> if he hadn't walked up at that particular time, you know, we probably would have said, well, I, I don't know if we can keep him in the program any longer because we we just don't have, you know, the resource or the staff to, to handle a one-on-one. And, and at that particular time, God had prepared another young man's heart to say, I need a bigger role. I need to walk. I want to be intentional with one person in my life. And so it works that way. And I, I mean, there's probably countless others that, Stephen, that we could go over if we had the time. But I'll just tell you, you know, it's our whole staff. Um, Something happened around the way that brought them to Hope Farm that they probably ordinarily wouldn't have been or shouldn't have been here. Yeah. Yeah, that's good. Man, God God disciplines those he loves. And, I I mean, I think for, for every mentor, we need to be resolved to, to recognize that and answer the call as Lord, as the Lord leads us to love through discipline. And man, Mr. Satcher, I'm so, I'm so encouraged by y'all's holistic approach in doing this and, and challenged personally in how uh, we're engaging our families in, in the process, engaging our mentors in the process, engaging our programs in the process of, of creating an environment of discipline for our boys. Cause I mean, uh, like you said, your program, if, if they get prepared for this journey into manhood, what difference is that going to make? What impact is that going to have on their life? It's a, it's a game changer. Stephen, I, I'd like to share a story with you, if I, if I may, one more. Yep. We had a young man in our program, and he had spent about three or four years with us. He came into the program, I would say, around the age of eight. And then he left around the age of 11, 11 or 12. And his grandmother said, you guys are just too strict for him. You know, it, it's, it's too strict. So they, she took him out of the program, and uh, about six or eight months ago, this young man lost his life from gang activity, right? And so, and when I look back at it, and I said, if this young man had stayed in our program, I think there's a good chance that he could have been alive today, right? And for grandma, we were too strict, but. We know what it takes for young males this day and age in order for them, you know, to be productive citizens in our community. And so if you if you don't have discipline and you don't have structure, then you're subject to fall for anything. And and most of the kids, they can say it whether they like it or not. They like discipline. They may not like the way it's (laughs) it's it's implemented to them at that particular time. But the beauty of our program is, is when we bring a young man in and we see that he's a little raw and he's undisciplined. And then after he's been in for about six weeks or 12 weeks, you kind of see the turn. There's nothing more pleasing than seeing that, right? And so we call mentorship and discipline, they kind of go hand in hand. And, 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 and it's all about leadership. So that's that's what I would like to let you know at this particular time 
we're in it for the, the, the sake of saving lives for the most part. That's a great place for us to end. Thank you. Wow. Woo. That I mean, just it's a powerful story of, of the impacts of discipline and or the lack thereof. So that's a it's a challenging story. Well, Stephen, uh, thank you. Thank you for taking the time and, and talking to us and giving us an opportunity, you know, to kind of explain our program. And it's always refreshing when, you know, we can share our stories and our organization with, with, with others. And so we're really proud of Hope Farm has been in the organ in this uh, community for almost 30 years, and we, as we kind of grow and expand, we 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 want to be known as one of the the great mentorship programs in the in the area in the community. Yeah, if any of our listeners are looking to connect with Hope Farm, how can they do that? So the very first thing they can do is go to our website, which is www.hopefarmfw.org. And our website has an overview of pretty much every program and everything that we're doing within the organization. They can also call our main line, which is 817-926-9116. And either the, the recorder will direct them to the right place after hours, or there'll be someone to answer the phone and get them transferred to the right area during the day. So. We're always willing to speak with anyone that's willing to take a look at our campus and visit our campus or just have questions that they're they're unsure on. But if you have a son and no father in the home and you're in the Dallas-Fort Worth area, please give us a call. We're interested. Amen. It's amazing. Mr. Satcher Dawson, Executive Director of Hope Farm. Thanks again for being on the podcast. It was awesome. 